At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to talk with Ray Massop of Toronto-based Awari Health. Ray Massop is a registered social worker and social entrepreneur, a former health equity researcher. She's dedicated her career to health promotion for marginalized Canadians. Awari Health is a remote therapy clinic focused on providing counseling and coaching services that are equitable and accessible. The company prioritizes DEI initiatives such as language accommodations, religious integrative services, and geared to income pricing. Ray, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to you know chat with you today and yeah, see where the conversation goes. This All is right, great. We're, we're excited to chat with you. Um, we're going to talk about you and your business, but first we like to get off to a fast start for our entrepreneurial audience to see if you can... Uh, can give us some idea of what you hope our entrepreneurs will uh, take away from this conversation today. Hmm. I, I love this question because it's specific for entrepreneurs, which is it. That's fun. So I would. So because I'm a mental health practitioner, I would want to say that to entrepreneurs, I can understand that most of entrepreneurs, myself included, we have like this entrepreneurial mindset. Um, and I would say like a good take home lesson, I guess, is that mental health care, what a lot of people can do and, and entrepreneurs in general can do too, is we can sometimes underestimate the importance of mental health care. And I would argue too, more relevant to entrepreneurs, that we need to have really strong mental health care and really strong mental health in order to sustain an entrepreneurial mindset. And I guess that, yeah, that would be the, the sort of takeaway, I would say. That's a great way yeah. to start. Um, my own theory is that I think um, most of the entrepreneurs that I've met have been extremely smart and intuitive and, and, and 
pretty mentally healthy. But on the other hand, their lifestyle, the challenges they face, the very fact that they're going out and challenging the status quo somewhere, that requires <laughs> you to be firing on all cylinders. So that's sort of the minimum. And, and obviously, it's going to test entrepreneurs are going to test their strength, their skill, their staying power, their, their uh, everything about them. Is that what you've found in, in your career as an entrepreneur? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My, like, for sure. It's this like adoption of like this particular type of mindset that is so different than like, like being an employee, because I've been an employee in the past too. And I've had a growth mindset, but it's like this particular mindset where it's entrepreneurial in the sense that it's like you have to take a learning stance. You have to have that growth mindset. Like I said, you have to kind of think in terms of abundance. Um, and then you also have to also be very goal oriented. And that goal oriented approach is very much connected, not only for your personal development, but also for your business development. And sometimes they can kind of intersect each other. Sometimes I find. Absolutely. Yeah. Ray, can you take us into your journey working as a social worker and former health equity researcher? What did these roles teach you about the mental health of Canadians? Ah, uh, yeah. So I've been a I've been in the field for just short of a decade, so around seven to eight years, and uh, I worked as both a researcher simultaneously as a social worker, and as a researcher. What I was exposed to a lot was a lot of healthcare gaps. Like that was what I was studying, really. I was I was studying sort of gaps among marginalized communities. So one research study I did, it was a, like a double blind study, um, psychopathology uh, type of research. It was in the area of like helping um, uh, school age girls and how what their health disparities is when they need a diagnosis of ADHD because there's a disparity between diagnosis between girls and boys, right? So a lot of like, a lot of what was in my face was a lot of like gaps, like healthcare gaps. That was what I was studying. And then simultaneously, I'm in social work as well, where I'm a counselor, I'm a community engagement coordinator, something like that, right? And I'm working in these nonprofit sort of sectors with uh, various types of marginalized groups from like, to SLGBTQ, to BIPOC, to um, persons living with disability, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm finding the same thing is going on, like healthcare gaps, right? Um, but I'm on the front line, so I'm seeing it kind of more personally. And uh, that's, that's the biggest theme in my career, I would say, just short of a decade, is that there's all these disparities, particularly among marginalized folk, in comparison to maybe the dominant sort of groups in Canada, right? And I guess I, I'll go into like how I became an entrepreneur. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. So I, it's, it's really interesting. Like, well, just really before you do that, though, it's very interesting that you, that you talked about um, studying gaps because yeah. it's gaps that create opportunities. In some cases, it's opportunities for government to act and, and get involved and, and clean up their act. <laughs> um, and in other cases, it's where individuals lead the way and we call them entrepreneurs. 
Yeah, that's a, that's exactly what the feeling was, is that, you know, I, I, we're in these, I, I was working in nonprofit. So a lot of nonprofit is funded by a government, like Ontario Trillium, that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, essentially, uh, that was the case is that it, it felt like you always had to wait for the government to act before you could implement the programming. So there was a sense of there was a little bit of innovation within these nonprofits. But it, to me, there was still a really, really strong imbalance between the talk or the, the dominant discourses about these gaps. Lots of talk and no problem with the talk, but not enough execution to make a, a, a change when there's a change needed. So that I found was the frustrating part of the job. And I know a lot of social workers and frontline workers have the same concerns that I did. And so as I was seeing these gaps and stuff like that, I was actually working in a hospital at one point. Um, I actually decided to say, what the heck? Why not just invest a couple thousand dollars and start a private practice and just focus on these particular groups that are actually not getting the, that are underserved basically. And um, so I started with like two practitioners, two other social workers, and we've grown in size to eight um, in two years. And then in the summertime, we were as, we were as um, large as 12 people. If we include our summer students and um, yeah, so it's grown tremendously because it's the volume, the volume of people that sort of need um, support in this like area is tremendous. So it's been, yeah, it's been. And and your, your, your colleagues, uh, the people you started with, are they partners or are they more employees? Yeah. Well, I tap like on, on record, I guess not on record, like legally, <laughs> um, legally they're contractors. So we're all like, we all consider ourselves like independent contractors. I'm just the one that holds the equity just because I do all the business side of things. Um, so I, I call them partners. Um, and, but legally they're contractors, I would say. And then we don't, we don't really use the word employee unless it's like an admin assistant or a student. Really. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Right. And is this, a, a you know, I, 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 I suspect that you've started this to fill a professional gap and, and to extend your services. Um, but how entrepreneurial are you becoming? I mean, are you aware, Hey, um, a business is actually a vessel for experimentation and and potential growth to serve more people to serve them better if we take that kind of mindset so 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 how is your mindset after 2 years hmm, <laughs> yeah so i it's i love this question cuz if we kind of um connect it also to with mental health in itself, because I, I would also say that, you know, my mental health journey is really intrinsically connected to the business um, pivots and stuff like that. So uh, for instance, like when, so basically what we're finding the phenomena is, is we have rate geared to income pricing. The biggest phenomenon is that we fill up our lower end rates, like our slots for our lower end rates very quickly and then we have a wait list for those slots and then we're not filling up as quickly with the you know people who can pay more so that's the phenomenon that we have and that's the biggest pain point and challenge that we have because perhaps our prof like our profit margins are suffering because of that 
Um, however, we're still getting the volume. We're still getting the sales. We're hitting all our revenue targets. Um, however, in order to grow profit margin, it's, it's difficult in that sense. That's why it's funny that, you know, nonprofits user usually do and service um, these groups of people, right? Because um, essentially it's like you're focusing on you're focusing on a market that may not have the money to, to make a business profitable, right? So that's the challenge. <laughs> um, so as an entrepreneur, I found that when my sales were low, my like intrinsically, I would always look at myself and be like, what am I doing wrong, right? Like that's just the automatic thing. What am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. What can I do better? Sometimes like if my mental health wasn't in check or I wasn't spending enough time on my mental health care, it would even impact my self-esteem. And like, I'd get sad, like why aren't these sales hitting or, or why aren't these profit margins hitting, right? Um, this so, is why we call it a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, literally. Oh gosh, yeah, literally. Um, so yeah, so it's so it's an emotional journey. Um, and I would say that it's the pivots, like these, these little decisions that make a huge difference. And it actually, like, I found that the decisions, it's so important that the decision is connected to the mission statement. So it's so easy to be like, okay, why don't we just target higher income people? And then we'll subsidize, that will subsidize for the lower income people. It's so easy to say that, right? And to an extent, we, we will have to do that. However, are we still going to do DEI initiatives as we do that? Yes, right? Like we'll still be focused on BIPOC individuals or persons with living with a disability, right? So that's a pivot that we've had to do. Another pivot is um and i and i say pivot in conjunction like it's not like we're changing directions completely we're just adding revenue streams really um so another revenue stream is um an employment assistance program model which we're we're implementing in 2024 and what that will focus on is um will focus on nonprofit organizations who actually service the the target market that we're servicing so yeah, that's how, that's how we're always like making these sort of decisions that are connected to the mission statement. However, it's really, really hard and it's, it's really easy, I should say, to say, oh, why don't we just target the, the market that has the money, right? Why don't we just target all the people that have like insurance plans and like have, have the money and then we can just subsidize and, and then we'll, we'll be okay. It's really easy to say that. However, it always doesn't, it doesn't feel true to our mission. It doesn't feel true to our why statement when we do that. So is there any other innovative ways to meet our goals that are true to our mission statement? That's the challenge I find yeah. in this entrepreneur and, journey. And, and you know what, you know, some people still, you know, sneer at the idea of business as compared to, you know, a social mission, but I mean, you've just described um, the the dilemma, the challenge, and also, you know, the incredible potential of business by saying, how do we innovate? How do we find a way to meet that mission statement in new ways? And, it's, and you know, if, it's, if yeah. it happens to be revenue or a shortage of revenue that is unleashing these questions and, and, and innovation, well, fine. That's, <laughs> that's how we get places. So yeah. it, 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 
it's exciting to, you know, hear you talk about this and, you know, you use the business jargon pretty well for, for a healthcare <laughs> professional. Oh, really? Oh, that's, that's like the nicest compliment. Thank you. <laughs> okay. You see, some people wouldn't think it was a compliment, but that's, but, uh, that's good. So, so, so help me understand, you know, the sort of services that you provide when people seek you out, what are the issues they're facing and how do you help them? Yeah, so right off the bat, it's always limited income. That's the the fundamental thing that we get, right? So it's people who don't have the income for their mental health service, but they really, really need it. So we subsidize or we kind of give them a rate geared income. Um, So those are the particular financial stressors are already coming in pretty hot, um, I would say. Um, And then a secondary issue that we do get is... um, um, we get clients who are either immigrants or uh, BIPOC, and they have sort of issues with sort of racial related barriers, whether that be barriers to employment or um, barriers, I would say, like uh, barriers to a, a like cultural assimilation kind of, right? You know, they're experiencing racism or discrimination and they have trouble fitting in with whatever type of community that they're in. So um, that's what a lot of the types of clients we get in. And then on conjunction, in conjunction with that, um, we, we service people who have mood related concerns, anxiety, any relationship concerns, grief and loss, anger management. And finally, what's the last one? <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. I think it's like self-esteem, low self-esteem and confidence. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and and tell us what therapy means at uh, a worry. I mean, is this like a a series? Is this like uh, at a, like a series of appointments? Is therapy just talking like it is when we watch it on the movies? Uh, help help me understand what the service actually is and does. Yeah, so it's interesting because therapy is like sometimes there's a big stigma attached to that word, and so. Um, we also try to um, unpack that a bit, unpack that word. Can we actually use different words to describe mental health care? So we also use the word coaching. We also use the word like support groups. We use the word psychoeducation. Um, therapy is just one of the, sur- like, we, I guess if we can categorize it, it would be like one service. However, we're very, very like, mindful that sometimes there's like cultural implications that there's a big stigma connected to it so um yeah we're still like uh we're still trying to focus on how can we get more males into our services because sometimes there's a stigma related to being male and seeking therapy right um and then as well as culturally how can we make the therapeutic process more culturally competent because sometimes People who are immigrants or newcomers, they actually don't understand why they would open up about their problems to a stranger, basically, mm-hmm. right? So how can, yeah, that's a big, like, so we use that word therapy, but we also, we, we also keep in mind the stigma related to it. But to answer your question, um, just like what, ther- what the therapeutic process looks like, essentially you come in, like, I guess if we, we were talking like a generic form of therapy, You come into our office, virtual office, quote unquote, and um, you do an assessment and the assessment is thorough. So it's a bio, psycho, social, cultural, spiritual, like you name it. (laughs) 
um, assessment where we just literally assess and we kind of get the context of what your situation looks like. And then once we have a good understanding of what your situation is looking like, we go into an intervention or another word for intervention is treatment. And that's a very thorough plan as to how we're going to address some of the concerns you may be having or some of the goals you may have for your mental health care. And then it's, it's all an assessment. Usually it's one session, but it can actually be ongoing throughout the process. Um, um, and then essentially intervention is, is what is the action step. So we try to assess and then take action right away. And um, is it a set number of sessions? It can be. Um, it depends on what the client's goal is. So we kind of make it as client-centered as possible. And is it all, is the outcome always, I mean, is the therapy or coaching I do, is it always basically come down to a, you know, a 25 minute, uh, one-on-one discussion? Is that basically the, the process? Yeah, it's a, it's a 60 minute process. Typically people come in bi-weekly on average. Um, if, a, if there's a particular crisis though, I like, I would suggest coming in weekly Um, if there's no problems with your mental health, you feel pretty good with mental health. You just want to be proactive. Then I would say come in monthly. Right. And, and what is sort of the, what does a, a a good outcome look like? A good, a perfect outcome. I, I, you know, I, you know, like you see these perfect outcomes. Perfect. Okay, a great outcome. We'll meet in the middle. <laughs> a great outcome is, I would say, there's symptom reduction. So whatever they come in with, like whatever type of concern there is, that's reduced. There is a set set um, coping skill method that is formed within the client. They, they formulate a little regime, a little mental health care, a little plan that they do that is actually... Um, independent from the therapist so that they do on their own. Right. And that they're working on that on a daily. So that's a, that's a perfect outcome. They have a good coping kind of regime going on for them. Another thing is, and this is informed, and this is actually kind of more of my personal opinion. It's informed by being an entrepreneur and taking that entrepreneurial mindset. Right. Um, it's having that goal. And I think like, you know, like that smart goals that, you know, we talk about, smart yes smart, it's like timely, this i can't remember yeah it's like this acronym yeah, yeah. yeah smart smart goal it's like um i'm just like i'm trying to think what is it they can they can google it quicker than we can remember it it's okay yeah yeah i'm trying to it's it's something about i think it's making it specific measurable yes a is for achievable, achievable. relevant and time bound i think right. so I, as a, I guess when I started my entrepreneurial journey, smart goals was like essential and it was like very regimen. Like it was like every month, every quarter, every week, there was always these set like smart goals kind of thing. I would suggest that for clients as well. So have really regimened smart goals and then worked and have a plan for action too. That I think the action plan is the more important part have a plan for action to attain those goals. So that's, that's a per, not a perfect outcome, but a great outcome. <laughs> that's a great outcome when they have goals, they have a good regime that there's independent from the therapist and they have symptom reduction. That's, that's the ideal. Fabulous. 
And right now, um, you know, we have what is considered to be free healthcare in Ontario. Is therapy part of that? So, I yes and no. <laughs> so, in terms of the way our healthcare system works, in terms of therapy, it's very reactive, I would say, and not proactive. If I could Definitely. say it in simple terms, yeah, in simple terms, that's the the gist of it. Um, and um, yeah, that's the that's the case. I think there's like some. St- I, uh, don't quote me on this, but the statistic of like the the amount of Canadians that go into the emergency department for mental health care um, reasons is like it's like increased by thirty three percent post pandemic. So it's a, taken a lot of um like it's taken a lot of like the government funding to service more of acute mental health concerns. Um, and again, it's very reactive and more costly actually. Um, whereas like, if you want to be proactive of your mental health concerns, it's more likely that you'll have to pay for that in some way or or shape. Um, so much of our medical system is geared to deciding which drug you should do. (laughs) (laughs) And it, it, are, 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 are drugs involved in, in your line of work or is it entirely, Hey, we can talk this out. (laughs) Yeah. So I, it's, it's really interesting. I, it's, it's all up to the client. So we, we don't have any psychiatrists on staff, so we have to refer out is the short answer. Um, the long answer is it's up to the client, whether they want to include their medication in their mental health care journey. Statistically evidence suggests that having both counseling and medication to attack a particular mental health concern is going to actually drastically increase your outcome significantly. Um, uh, so I, I believe it's something like 20% of people who do mental health counseling see results and it's something like 50, uh, don't quote me on this. It's around 50% or so with medication. So if you do both at the same time, you're drastically increasing your odds of recovery of some sort or, or addressing a concern. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you're in business to, to, to help bring this solution to more people who can't afford it or can't wait <laughs> for for the, the the public system to to bring it to them. Um, can you tell us, you, you know, how successful have you been at that? And can you, I don't know, share with us a story or something about how you think you're making a difference? Yeah. So it's ah, yeah. So it's a small difference, in my opinion. You know, I guess entrepreneurs sometimes they think they want to, you know, want to help millions of people. Right. And I, and honestly, I think about, oh, like, it'd be so nice if it was like a million Canadians. I think about that every day, (laughs) but right now we're just short of a thousand Canadians that we've helped. Right. And regardless if they pay or if they don't pay, as long as we're helping them in some sort of way, whether that's system navigation, um, or, or just like, giving them an ear to listen to for, you know, even if it's pro bono, that's a success in our books. So we're very, we're hoping to be very impact focused um, while also having a sustained business model. So the balance of the two is the definitely a challenge for sure. And um, yeah, that I, I guess it's, it's more the balance. It's because it's, it's, it's funny being in pro uh, for profit and then also being a startup because it's kind of like you're focused on the momentum and like trying to like get that right fit 
you know, market fit and all that jazz, right? <laughs> <laughs> all those like, what's the lingo? Like the market fit, you need your market MVP, market. your MVP yeah. needs to be in place and you know, all the jazz. Um, so well, tell me, how do you know all this stuff? Did you, did you hang out in an accelerator? Did you read a couple of books? Do you have a coach? All of the above, really. I, I actually prefer the business side. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it, it's funny because like, I, I guess like my, uh, my intuition, my heart is very social work based, but my brain is definitely like, I feel like an MBA student and I'm hoping like I'm going to study my MBA next year. Um, so yeah. So how I learned it was I, I took an, I took uh, two accelerator courses. I've been reading books like nonstop. And, uh, in terms of a coach, I have two, two coaches on the, on the go right now. Okay. I just want to drill down into that and share names and specifics if you want. Sure. How did you find your coaches? What, what, what accelerators did you hang around at? What book, what were your favorite books? <laughs> yeah. So I like, I'm a, I'm a big, big, like self-care book type of gal. <laughs> so, um, but I mean the, the first book was like Think and Grow Rich, that was number one really? for sure. Yeah. Think and grow rich. Yeah, absolutely. Like that changed everything for me. Cause I, I don't think it, the imposter syndrome would have definitely like consumed me if it weren't for that book. So think and grow rich was never number one. And I study that book. So I reread it every year. Um, and then um, this is more self care, but I, I kind of throw it into business. It's um, the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I throw it into business because it, it's so easy to get caught up in doing all the time and not being present. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my number two book that I study. So those yeah, two that's books. Cool. That's a huge issue. Yeah. 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 The, the, those are the two books. Um, and oh, yeah, I'd love to like discuss that, like when it when it comes to like not being present because you're so goal oriented all the time, too. Um, but to answer the rest of your question, um, the accelerators I, I was in, it was the University of Toronto Black Founders Network and uh, Next Canada, which is also in Toronto. And um, I hung out with just entrepreneurs all day, did a bunch of their little courses, their workshops, that kind of jazz, um, then kind of got in with the lingo and stuff like that. And then um, in terms of how I met my coaches was through networking, ultimately was through networking and they they just saw their it's like the coaches like really liked the mission statement and decided to jump on board and I, i've been like definitely fortunate for that want to give your your coaches a shout out or are you afraid other people will snap them up <laughs> yeah yeah sure so um my first one is uh lisa prolex and then the second coach is chris christoph joel joel vet and then I do have a third coach. We're just uh, we're taking a we're taking a leave right now just because he's busy working at TTC, and that's Ian Dixon. Um, so those are my three coaches right now, and they're fabulous. Yeah, Bad. that's a shout out. <laughs> What's the most important lesson that, that that you've learned from one of the accelerators organizations that you hung out with? Mindset. So I guess. Um, there's this one course, it's like the famous course of the next accelerator, and it's called the Founder's Mindset. So anyone who's been in the next Canada thing will know exactly what I'm talking about. It's this, um, basically, it just talks about having the right mindset when you are a founder of a startup and you have limited capital 
because essentially there's so much unknown, there's so much ambiguity and you have not, you, you are not the best person to kind of address some of these gaps because you don't have the capital as you don't have the same capital that as these big or corporations do. So what makes you and what makes you the person that's going to address those gaps? What makes you the person that will be relentless enough to pursue your goal and, you know, get that market fit or what have you, whatever your goal is, right? So it, it, it kind of challenges your mindset because really evident, like rationally, it's, you know, it's sometimes it's not rational to be a founder. Sometimes it's not rational to be an entrepreneur because there's maybe too many barriers, too many competition, too much competition. So how do you like see past that competition? And that's like the biggest value I got from the program is essentially like how to just be relentless and, and kind of do your actions with a little bit more conviction in the midst of, of all these barriers. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's incredible stuff. And the funny (laughs) thing is that the the more experience you have inside big organizations, whether it's business or governments, um, the more opportunities you see there are that, uh, that, you know, the big companies aren't seeing uh, and you understand why a Google could come out and upend both Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, but often entrepreneurs haven't had, specifically entrepreneurs as young as university, they haven't had a ton of experience in hierarchies other than education. <laughs> they yeah. got lots of ideas about education. <laughs> but but uh, the, yeah. the, the, finding that leverage and that confidence to say, yeah, I can make change is, is, is really hard. Yeah. But uh, um, I, I think the message of next is that there are tons of opportunities for doing it out there <laughs> if you've got the gumption and a little bit of insight. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Like exactly like what, what makes these, these university students, the, the option for tackling this problem or whatever the problem may be. Right. Um, like I, it's, it's amazing how it kind of like, it helps you ex like literally accelerate or give you the confidence to say, you know what? Yes, I can. Like it just, that's the biggest probably learning lesson. And, and what I found too, is it, it, it turns you into almost like, it doesn't turn you into this, but it almost makes you think as though you're like a machine. And I, that sounds really bad, but, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll explain. Like, so um, I, cause I'm thinking through a mental health lens here too. Um, often what can ha- happen is motivation kind of wanes a bit often with people, motivation wanes, but it's discipline that keeps people going. And I think discipline is what keeps entrepreneurs going. And what I noticed when I was hanging out with entrepreneurs in these accelerator programs, including Next, is that they operate as if they're like a machine with their self-care. So they have like a disciplined self-care regime. Some of them are waking up at like 4 a.m. in the morning. They're like going for a run at like 5 a.m. They're like, (laughs) they're like, they're ready to go because they know the relationship between self-care, mental health, and goal achievement. And that's like the biggest thing, like being surrounded by that was quite something, I would say. I got two words for those people, burnout. (laughs) I know, right? That's the, and that's the risk. Yeah. And that's the balance though, right? Yeah. The question, how long can you keep doing it? Yeah. Probably not as long as you think, but Mm -hmm. maybe long enough. (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh, burnout's a really interesting thing too. Burnout with entrepreneurs. Cause like I hear a bunch of entrepreneurs saying like, oh, I work like 60 hours, 70 hours. I've been there myself. I've worked 60 hours myself, 70 hours, whatever. And yes, burnout is like around the corner when you do work those really long hours. Right. Um, and I would say to like a lot of entrepreneurs that if there's a focus on like your mental health care in the midst, like if you have a sense of your self-awareness of when burnout is approaching, your prevention of burnout is, is a lot more likely. So if you have a regimen to check up on yourself and your mental health care, so whether that be going to counseling or whatever, then you can kind of prevent that burnout. And when you prevent burnout, you're also actually optimizing your productivity as well. So right. yeah, if we would connect it with mental health there. I'm, I'm, no, it's, 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 there. You, you can't disconnect them at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, absolutely not. Yeah. So and now you're still doing, uh, you're, you're still working for a living, right? You're still doing therapy with, with patients. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And are you getting close to that founder's dilemma where you have to say, do I keep doing this or do I spend more time sort of building and managing and expanding the business? Oh, I love this question because it, it brings me back to what I, w- I wanted to kind of say earlier was, was when we were talking about that book, the, the, how, what was it called? The power of now <laughs> where it's <laughs> like that sense of being present in the moment. So what I find now is how I'm personally finding that balance is I I find that I have to separate times where I can just be present in the moment and be. And that's when I'm doing my counseling work, when I'm doing the things I know well, when I'm doing admin work or whatever. I know those, when I work in the business, I know that area very well, I'd say. Um, right. When I'm working on the um, business, yeah, when I'm working on the business, that's where I find that balance of, okay, let's look at the future. Let's do these particular doing tasks so we can get to the future with all these business development, marketing, all that jazz. And so that's how I find that balance is that I, I have a time and a place where I'm just mindful. I'm just practicing mindfulness and that's in the areas I know well. Um, and then the areas where I want to do improvements on both for myself and the business, that's where I go into doing mode. So, uh, yeah. So that's where I find the balance. <laughs> Ray, what do you think Awari Health is going to look like four or five years from now? So I would love to be servicing tens of thousands, <laughs> tens of thousands of Canadians, marginalized Canadians. I would love to sustain this rate gear to income model and have a bunch of other DEI initiatives put in place, including language accommodations um, and accommodations for religions, different religions that I want to put in place too. Um, multiple streams of income, um, including a, like more of the B2B market um, stream of income as well, and having a headcount um, where we're also including students year round as well as well as having clinical supervisors, the, you know, the clinicians that we work with that do well, having them supporting the students so that the students can learn and professionally develop within the organization. And with those students, those students also being 
quite diverse, whether that be students living with a disability or um, BIPOC students. So that's the that's the dream. <laughs> um, and is there a plan or a plan being built that will help further the dream along? Yeah, yeah. It's like this this constant testing and pivoting and all that jazz. How? What's the avenue that will? What's the avenue that is going to click? Where's that market fit? Where it's going to actually like accelerate our our um, our business model? Um, it's that, that's the plan for the next couple of years. Um, and then once we find that fit, we're hoping that we'll be able to have that sort of hockey stick projection in terms of impact. That is really cool. The hockey stick doesn't come up much any, anymore, but I know <laughs> from a graduate of two accelerators, uh, that I think it's okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's, that I, I, that's so funny. It's so funny. Cause like, it's like. Um, I, the last pitch I did, that's what they were saying. It's like, you, you need to get that hockey stick projection. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I hear you. It's like, it, it's like that battle between bootstrapping or, or um, seeking funding. That's the battle. And um, if we had a magic <laughs> wand and we could help you get there with one wave of the wand, what, what's <laughs> the, we started out talking about gaps. So what, what, what's the biggest gap? currently preventing you from from getting to that next level the current gap is it's well, the easy answer is capital right um because we're, we're servicing a market that they don't have the income to pay us however there are markets so we focus on them so we're having to find to you know reduce our costs somehow so that we still sustain right um if there's a way to subsidize that with a grant of from the government of some sort that is sustainable um that would be the wand that we'd probably look for um and then yeah just having a good organizational culture too because we're a remote service and um it can be really easy for a therapist to get burnt out or to have their confidence shot down um, having an environment where the therapist also feels supported and empowered, um, I think would be a perfect outcome as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, th- those sound solvable. Um, <laughs> for the first part, you, you talked about capital. You, you, you're, you're taking on clients who can't pay. You're doing the government's work. Are there any sort of programs to encourage innovation in healthcare from provincial or federal governments that that might actually be able to help support you in doing this work and expanding it? Yeah. So the short answer, yes. Um, And is this going to be our focus for the next couple of quarters? Yes. And the thing is, is like, I think our focus was so focused on um, iterating the actual programming and service itself now that we feel pretty confident that the service is good, all of our therapists are very confident in what they do, can we focus on how we're going to get this funding to help our service users or clients? Yes. So, yeah, that, that's what we're going to be focused on for the next quarter or two or probably um, forever. <laughs> well, that sounds like a pretty good place to leave it. You, you, yeah. you created this service. You're, you're, you're enhancing you're improving people's lives. You're making a difference for them. And do you, you now have to sort of build out that model yeah. and, and, and show the, the value that you're creating. And uh, if you can do that, 
then they say the capital will find you so the capital will find (laughs) yeah that's what I I always heard too like if you focus on like the value then the cat like the money will fall and if you're doing the government's work then the government has to kick in (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) hopefully they see they see what we're doing they see the value and uh yeah hopefully they you know trust us to to okay ray after all of this do you have any (laughs) Final piece of advice or words of wisdom for our entrepreneurs, whether it's about mental health or business. Um, okay, let me try to con- con- like connect the two. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, it's really interesting when we were talking about entrepreneurs, how they, you know, they kind of operate almost like a machine, but then they it can kind of lead to burnout sometimes too. Also entrepreneurs, what a big currency for entrepreneurs is time. And I think I'm thinking about time currency. Um, I would say a big take home, I don't take home, I guess, um, is if, you know, I, I understand like, you know, there's so much responsibility entrepreneurs need to take and, and, and all that jazz. However, in terms of long-term, if you're an entrepreneur with a long-term goal, having that balance is like crucial, I would say. And, you know, because there's going to be crises and stressors that are going to hit you in the face over and over and over again. And sometimes, (laughs) sometimes that can really like impact self-esteem, right? Whether it's subconscious or conscious, when it impacts self-esteem, that's impacting your mental health. It doesn't matter if you're a machine, you're doing all the self-care regimes, 4am working out, whatever, what have you. Um, if your self-esteem is low, your confidence is low because of all these failures, um, I would say implement some more balance in your life and focus on your mental health care and your relationships and all that jazz. Um, and it'll drastically improve your productivity and your motivation. And yeah, I think it'll it'll make it all worthwhile. I'd say. So I guess the take home is like focus on mental health care because it's preventative of burnout. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much. It's a great way to end this conversation, a great way to end Startup Canada's uh, contributions to, to, to uh, Mental Health Month <laughs> and Health Awareness. Uh, entrepreneurs have so much to offer, and yet they have to realize that they're, that, 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 you know, they're yeah. vulnerable as well. They're as, as superhuman as they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear uh, you. <laughs> we, we, we all need to take care of ourselves. We've been talking with Ray Massop of Toronto-based Awari Health. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. Uh, it's very exciting. And we'll be watching closely to see as you grow and grow. Thank you so much, Ray. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. For me too. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.